and thanks for joining us again for another episode of The Last Picture Podcast. I'm Christy Walker. And I'm Teresa Fay. So uh, do you want to talk a little bit about our new sponsor? Yes. So are you like totally addicted to it like I am? I am actually. Yeah, just looking at their jars, they had me with authentic, stone ground, raw, sprouted. Like these are all words that I want to see. And um, yeah, the yummiest nut butters. And I want to get the most out of all my food. And this is definitely a product that I feel like I can do it with, you know? I know. I love it. It's um, called Natista. It's a stone ground nut butter what I love about it is that it um, doesn't have any, like, the bad crap in it. <laughs> totally. It's all just, good. All good ingredients. Not only is it good ingredients, but it's so delicious that I've honestly been dipping my spoon into it, like, all week long to get, like, a quick protein snack. Yeah. Yeah. It is yummy. It's super yummy. My favorite uh, flavor right now is the nut job. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty good. Um, raw cashew, sprouted almond, peanut, raw pecan, and Celtic sea salt. How yummy. Forget just like using straight up peanut butter. Yeah, so it's good like, like in a smoothie or like a protein drink. Um, yeah, totally. Or we've been eating it on apples and bananas, I celery. Know. My favorite was um, the Tangerine Express IPA one. Um, oh, yeah. I didn't get to taste that I, flavor, Teresa, did I? Teresa didn't get to even taste because I just kind of opened the jar and so I don't know. It just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> no one else in Thanks, my family Christy. ate it either, I don't think. But I thought it'd be so awesome, I mean, to make like peanut butter cookies out of that. Although it wouldn't just be peanuts. It would be sprouted almonds and raw cashews. It had like a kind of an orange tangerine flavor. It was mm -hmm. so good. We're so excited to have Nutista as our latest sponsor. They craft authentic stone ground nut-based products that create unique flavor profiles and they don't have any added sugar or bad oils. They're locally produced and they just seem like an amazing company. Yeah, um, they're actually made out of, um, they're made in Carlsbad, California, if you live locally. They're also sold at Jimbo's Naturally and you can find them online at natista.com, N-U-T-I-S-T-A.com. Go out there and get yourself some unique nut blend butter. This episode is also brought to you by Steel Realty. They're a local real estate agency that are located right down in Cardiff, California. These agents are all local and coastal, and they're coastally minded. Cody Steele, one of the partners, spent yesterday picking up trash on the beach because he cares about the ocean and the environment. In these days where we want to pick and choose who we spend our time with and spend our money with, these are people that you want to hang out with and that you will enjoy your buying or selling experience. Um, they're located in Cardiff. You can go for a walk on the beach and then you can walk by their office right on San Alejo Avenue. They're going to make your experience the best it can be. So cruise by their offices or you can find them on the web at realtysteel.com. That's realtysteel, S-T-E-E-L-E.com. So find them and have a great time. Good luck finding your next home. Teresa and I, for the first time, went on a... We went out of town. We're taking the podcast on the road. We took the podcast on the road to have one of our most special guests um, we've had on the podcast so far. It was an exciting guest. It was a big guest. It was... Um, 
Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Do you want to reveal? Teresa and I went and talked to Steve Yedlin. He's the director of photography of uh, the most recent Star Wars movie, Star Wars The Last Jedi. And many, many other movies. Do you notice that this is episode eight that we're recording? <laughs> and it's quite fitting. <laughs> you love that? We can yes. say we planned that. Yes, it's perfect. Meant to be, I think. Yes. Um, Just happened that way. Well, Steve um, and I have been friends for a long time. Yeah. I, he actually hired me back in the days. I was his assistant camera <laughs> um, and film loader back um, maybe 15 years ago before I took a different path. To How exciting, time flies. It's exciting. Uh, and now you're a podcaster. Yeah, it's an exciting career <laughs> of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> no, Steve was, uh, Steve was really kind to have us up to L.A. and uh, took our podcast on the road, set up, had a super great time um, nerding out and asking him questions and checking out all his fun stuff and his, you know, even I think we even made him turn on one of the lights what's from... His, what's his fun stuff? You mean like from fun the stuff scene. from... Movies from Star Wars. Yeah, we're Some, we're getting into all his the gadgets, artifacts, and <laughs> um, like the, they had a, a slate from the film that Teresa had fun slapping. Yeah, that was action. cool. <laughs> you got a picture. You put yeah. a photo of that up yeah. on the Instagram. Yes. Well, I have one of you holding it too. So yeah, which I haven't seen. <laughs> Come on. Um, Steve is the director of photography of Star Wars. That's his latest film. But he's also been. Um, worked on many other films, a lot of other major motion pictures. So Steve's a very accomplished DP, and he has made his mo a lot of his movies with director Ryan Johnson and uh, happened to have made, as a lot of you might know, the latest Star Wars. Um, Steve's also known for, uh, he did the recent um, remake of the movie Carrie. Ryan and Steve uh, made the movie Looper together, Brick, Brothers Bloom. You could spend a good day cuddled up on the couch watching their movies. For being so famous, Steve was really down to earth and I don't think he was easy. Think he's famous. <laughs> I know, but we think he's famous. He's famous in our eyes uh, because, I mean, it's a really good. It's an amazing accomplishment. Amazing career and amazing things that he's made. What I think is funny Star Wars. about cinematography is that um, everything we watch, even when it comes to like movies or commercials, takes the, the photographer, the cinematographer, the director of photography, is the one that creates that imagery. And most of the time, none of us know who they are <laughs> or think about it. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of credit outside the industry given to those people. Right. Us photographers like will be like, ooh, who yeah. is the DP? Yeah, but, but it's kind of... Um, it's kind of a major factor in the overall picture. Otherwise, it, it wouldn't be a movie. It right. would just be like a radio show. Yeah. <laughs> so we're making, are we, we're going on a mission to bring fame and fortune to yeah. DPs around the world. <laughs> or at least in California. We're trying to show Any other people. DPs out there, come on the podcast. <laughs> Give them the respect they deserve. But it was so cool. We did kind of, like she said, geeked out about some stories of behind the scenes of filming and like what it took to film Star Wars. We definitely talked a lot about that, of course. Yeah, we did. Um, and some other movies and just experiences holding that job and what it's like and, you know, parts and pieces that go into it. Totally. You're going to really enjoy this if you 
love movies, if you love Star Wars, if you love photography, and you love a good conversation with a man who's good with has a really good way with his words. Yeah, Steve. Steve's definitely a brilliant and articulate person. person, right? Um, we think you're gonna like this. You're gonna get a lot out of it. We hope you enjoy. Here we go, Steve Yedlin. May the force be with you. Yes. Hey, it's another day and we're hanging out talking to photographers. It's not so bad. This is The Last Picture, a podcast not just about photography. Because sometimes the coolest part about being a photographer are the stories behind the shot and the adventures that get you there. Steve, thank you so much for um, doing this with us. We're so excited to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. Super, super exciting. feel like I wanted to jump up and down on the sidewalk (laughs) when we got here. I'm like, woo! Well, as long as you do it outside, that's... (laughs) The neighbors wouldn't like it, right? (laughs) Um, So um, because we're photographers and we're more familiar, usually we speak to photographers or videographers, um, I thought... Just to start off, and maybe we could talk a little bit about what your role as a director of photography is when you're shooting mm-hmm. a feature film. Like, what are you responsible for? Sure. Well, um, <laughs> uh, I guess in the broadest strokes, uh, everything that has to do with the with the photographic look, not the not the production design part of the look, but the photographic part. So, um, you know, framing and shot design and lighting design and all that, and the the specifics of that really depend on the director you're working with. You know, some directors are, are very specific with shots. They know what shots they want. They know what lenses they want. So you're, um, on the camera and shot side, you're helping them make that even better and keep track of, you know, their, their concepts and their Mm -hmm. goals. And, and, um, uh, you know, whereas other directors are a lot looser with, with shot design and, and, um, and the camera, and then in which case you might be doing, you know, the heavy lifting even in the broad strokes of the of the shot design. Hmm. So you know, with all of that, it depends on the people. Um, but it's always the director has some amount of you know whatever input they want for their style, and then you're filling in the fine grained details um, uh, from there. And and you know there are exceptions, but usually it's the kind of camera and shot design part that's more variable director to director. And the Mm -hmm. lighting part is more, um, it's a little less variable. I mean, lighting is more of the, the, the specifically the DP's world. So when you talk to the director with that, it's usually broad strokes, broad conceptual stuff. And then all of the, um, actual sort of, uh, you know, hard decisions are, are are made by the DP. Yeah. Like he'll have an idea that he wants it lit, like, have some concept like darkly lit and yeah, this mood, certain mood, and you know how to yeah bring it to life. Um, I mean that might happen. It do, it doesn't usually. Um, I mean there there's every, every version of things has happened. <laughs> no, it's not hard yeah. and fast, but it doesn't usually happen that a director is doing a bunch of really vague subjective descriptions scene to scene um it might you know sort of the vague subjective stuff might be um 
you know, more in prep, like, you know, we want this feel out of the movie. Mm -hmm. And then by the time you're actually doing it, you're just doing it. And, and the, you know, the input from the director might be, um, you know, you, you know, firstly in prep, you know what it's, you know, you, you kind of discuss a lot of this stuff. Like, do we want, you know, if you have a, if you have a day interior, you might discuss, you know, do we want this to feel more like there's light streaming in through the window versus the mm -hmm. interior is lit by the lamps in the room? Yeah. Um, if you even discuss that with them, it depends on, uh, usually it would depend on how, uh, story specific the, the, the lighting is, mm -hmm. um, you know, how much it has to do with the mm -hmm. the actual story versus uh, it's just whatever that room, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. by the, by, you know, by the time there's a, a physical space that actually exists that's been devised by the production designer and everything, you, you know, you, you want to make it look the best it can. You don't want to, mm -hmm. you know, make it look like something totally other than what it is. I mean, mm -hmm. just, just to make an absurd example that I'm making up, this isn't anything. I mean, mm -hmm. if the production designer invented something that was like if you had a sci-fi movie and you're in a glowing sphere and the whole thing is light you wouldn't say let's make this scene really dark you know i mean you've yeah. got to you know it, yeah. it's got to one way or another match what the what the space is so yeah. so again although there are exceptions usually you wouldn't have on set on the day the director saying a bunch of really vague subjective Stuff, oh yeah, I know, meant like, like beforehand you know. in in planning it as is describing. But I was fig I figure you must have st it all story. Is it like pretty much storyboarded out too? Are movies storyboarded out now? Um, that's that's highly variable as well. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, by the t when you're doing um, big interdepartmental efforts wh where where you've got uh, visual effects, practical effects, um, you know, stunts, and then you know, and then that all has to interact with the production design and the construction. Um, that stuff has to be, uh, you know, when it's really complicated, that stuff is actually usually even pre-vised, definitely storyboarded if not, if not pre-vised. Yeah. And, um, but when it's not that, when it's not those, you know, seriously inter interdepartmental huge efforts, um, you know, it's, it's highly variable to the director and the movie and, uh, you know. Yeah. So you said that some of you, some of this is done in prep, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, well, all of the all of the storyboarding and previs would be done in prep. Yeah. Do you sh actually shoot some prep lighting or some prep scenes or not? Not not, really? not usually because it would be in, in unless we're testing something specific. You know, an example would be uh, I mean, on Last Jedi, we did a test where we where we wanted a specific golden look. Um, for a scene, uh, but we were shooting part of it in the location. We had to use these sodium lights that were actually there. So part of the what we tested in prep would be to shoot the sodium lights to see what color correction is required to take them from the color they kind of come out natively to adjust them to that golden color, Got so it. that so that we could so that we could then sort of invert that color correction for the other lights. So like because we would also mm -hmm. have if we wanted a movie light to come out white but we were going to have to do this aggressive color correction to make the sodiums come out golden. Mm -hmm. We would have to put some kind of a gel on the movie light. So, yeah. that, so, so it's a very technical test. It's not <laughs> like, you know, that test isn't like, here's the exact, exact lighting. Cause to get the sense of the lighting, you would have to have the finished set, the light, you know, the actors, yeah. the light, you know, ever. So, so by you the can't get that yeah. like beforehand. <laughs> yeah. So, so you would basically be mounting a shoot that's as big as expensive as the actual shoot. Yeah. Which, <laughs> so, so we usually te would test individual elements rather than the whole 
thing. Cool. Yeah. So were you, did you actually did this for The Last Jedi? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What scene was this for? Uh, the the Canto Bite exterior is when the um, Fathiers are running through the through the city. The the kind of horse creatures. Oh yeah, the uh, the racetrack scene yeah. outside of the yeah. But uh, yeah, oh. so but it's the town though. So like after they bust out and they're going through the town, mm-hmm. uh, which was actually a much longer scene originally. And uh, um, I think there might be uh, I think they might in- be including a longer version in the, in the deleted scenes on the Ooh. on the extras. So. Part of it got cut. Yeah, it got cut, cut, cut way down. Way down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <Yeah. laughs> Imagine how much more is to the story. <laughs> you know, but seen. but another example, even from that scene, that but that's kind of a good example of, you know, how you might do it in general, is you know, I just when, when we were scouting, I would just take some some still photos and then. Um, and then I would just color correct them different ways to, and show to Ryan and say, hey, this is my idea for the golden, you know, you know he called it a jewel box look. Hmm. So that's an example of kind of honing from um, kind of vague subjective down to what we're actually going to do is it starts with him saying the word jewel box, me hmm. interpret that, interpreting that as being this sort of golden lights mixed with the dusky blue in the sky. Hmm. I do a few different versions of that to show to him. He picks one he likes. Then we start testing the actual, you know, how are these, you know, we have to use these actual sodiums that are at the location. Mm-hmm. So let's test how they come out, what color correction we have to do to them to make them this gold that we decided on cool. with the reference. Yeah. So golden is like the last hour of light, you know, that little uh, warm. No, no, not, not sunset golden. It no. was the actual, <clears throat> it's, it's pretty much, not, there's some dusk in the sky, but all the illumination is artificial illumination. It's all coming from the lights that are all down the alleyway. Okay. And so, so those are a very golden, like not orangey sunset, but actually yellow gold. Ah, cool. Um, look, yeah. I just want to go back and rewatch it. <laughs> I want it all in front of me right now while we're talking about yeah. it. Easier to reference yeah. things that yeah. way. But we didn't yeah. really. I've, I've got it. You want to put it on the yeah. table? You can, you can skip around on the. You. That's what we're going to do, right? We should have yeah. first had questions, yeah. but I think will. I think I asked Christy that. I said, can we just sit down and watch the whole movie <laughs> with him <laughs> and make that the podcast? Would that work? <laughs> we didn't really announce it, but um, the that's your your latest project. Your your latest big project is The Last Jedi. It is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> is it proper to say congratulations? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, but, but, uh, thanks, but thanks for but flagging yeah. it. I mean, people <laughs> may not have heard of this little indie movie, so it's good to yeah. get, the, yeah. get the word out. And um, yeah. it's a big, bigger film than you normally work on, right? Uh, it's the biggest film I've ever worked on, yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I think and it's the biggest film anyone's ever worked on as far as <laughs> as far as I know. It's amazing. I know. That's pretty much can can't get much bigger than that, right? Yeah. When it it's, comes to all the uh, special effects that were involved too. Probably. Visual effects and all but also the the practical construction and everything. I think there were um by some counts anyway, there were hundred and twenty five sets built for a one hundred day shoot. So Wow. It's pretty, pretty intense. And is this a lot more than, um, is it typical for Star Wars movies to have that many sets? Or do you think that this was more? Uh, from what I'm told, no, no movie ever has had that many sets of any, of any kind. Holy. That density. A couple people have told me that. I don't really know the statistics, but I've heard that in terms of 
physical building and production. It was the biggest there had ever been, uh, certainly in, in, in Europe and England. Um, Which yeah. is where it was filmed, right? Yeah, we shot in London, uh, mostly Pinewood Studios, uh, a little bit at Long Cross, and, um, and then we had some location work in Ireland and Dubrovnik and that's really cool. Did it? Did that feel overwhelming or anything, or was it just exciting? Odd, oddly, not. <laughs> um, I mean, it, you know, there, there's of course that you know now and then where you step back, where you go, "This is just ridiculous how huge this is." But, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's not. It's never. It was never overwhelming for me as a you know as a task because everything is. Uh, sort of properly delegated. I mean, we have enough time for the prep. It's not like we're trying to prep it in the same amount of time as a as a indie movie mm-hmm. that's just people talking in a living room. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like the amount of prep and the amount of crew too. You know, so yeah, um, you know, there's enough people that do all the jobs that, yeah. that you know, like you know, we'll sit there with the plans with the set designer and talk about you know how we want the lights to be, and it could be something that's enormous that involves you know construction cranes you know, holding up huge 40 buys and stuff. But, you know, we talk about it the same as if I was sitting there with the gaffer on a little movie saying, let's, let's just have one twelve buy. I mean, you're just saying yeah. what you're going to do. And then there's, you know, there's crews and people that, that, that do all the stuff. And, um, no, no one person is overwhelmed with, uh, um, you know, more than they can handle. Yeah. It was a great team of yeah, people. Absolutely. And the, and the gaffer is, uh, Dave Smith is, one of the best in the world and he's just absolutely amazing at, at executing everything and running you know because he because he does have multiple crews going I mean he'll have not just his on-set guys but he'll have a crew rigging one stage de-rigging another yeah and so forth and and you know he just keeps that all organized and you know he has a he has a great rigging gaffer and and all that so excellent yeah. did you feel was was this movie since it's the largest movie you've ever worked on did you have um kind of no limitations as far as budget like as okay maybe that's maybe that's not possible I just meant like did you feel like you get you had to think of what you needed and you got to use it or did you have to make exceptions Um, for budget I you know I didn't feel like uh, we were doing anything excessive just to do something excessive and um, you know when the budgets are big it's not to make it easy for us, it's to put it up on the screen. You know, the budget is big because the demands are big. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, everything still always feels just as low budget as ever with the, you know, camera orders too expensive and can we drop anything and mm-hmm. going back and forth with the rental house and, you know, and, and um, you know, be, because the, yeah, the, the budget is there because of the demands. The budget's not there because the demands haven't increased, but they just want it to make make it easy for us. You know? yeah, okay. um, so yeah. uh, you know, so so you know, we did have stuff that was really big, but not usually excessive. And and the other thing is, even even to whatever extent there was some luxuriousness to it, mm-hmm. um, even that you have to. Um, you know, you, you still have to pick how you're going to use your resources. You know, mm-hmm. if like, uh, you know, when you're talking about really large setups, which I mean, part of the reason that like that our budget would have been expensive compared to a little movie is how big mm-hmm. some of the sets are and everything, which is which is not our doing. It's not me being excessive. It's not like we're, you know, it's not like we're lighting somebody in a little living room with with 
250 sky panels. We're right. lighting a huge set with 250 yeah. sky panels. And um, if we were to be, uh, you know, e- even to the extent to which we do have a little bit of luxuriousness in the resources and time, if we were to use that merely to be indecisive, you wouldn't actually be using it to make it better. You know, I mean, by the time you install all that big stuff, it better be the way you want it to be. And you're not sitting there waiting for a crane to move or, or something like that. Yeah, so, right. you know, um, <laughs> that would be, I would yeah. probably do that. I'd be like, whoops, I need that crane over there. <laughs> Sorry guys. Changed my mind. <laughs> That's why, uh, Steve is good at pre-planning things. <laughs> Did yeah. you do anything, um, different, like something you've never done on other movies, lighting or. Yeah. Um, a lot, but the but the probably the thing that's the the biggest sudden shift that was like a huge learning curve was um, I've pretty much never used LED lighting except for the very rare like we need a light on a battery and it can't be plugged into the wall on an extremely rare circumstance, really? and this was. Everything was LEDs, wow. um, and we were, and and not just were they LEDs, but we had done some really serious uh, kind of color science to map them out and make sure we knew uh, all of our chromaticity coordinates. Oh, sorry, um, <laughs> you know, to, to map out all the chromaticity coordinates of the of these sky panels. Uh, that's that's the light that I have there. Ari Ari gave me one when I went to their um, their. Uh, uh, some, their lighting symposium, but the, the it looks good in your dining yeah, room. Yeah, I su- like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but that's just like a small version of it. I thought sky. Um, I read. I read about your sky panels. That's an, I, that's an S thirty, so that means it's thirty centimeters. The standard ones are sixty. The 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 most common ones are S sixties, which are sixty centimeters, and then there's even bigger ones. So but. that's basically what. A lot of people are using in movies now mm-hmm. instead of the normal hot yeah. lights or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and the way we used them was as far as I know, unique, because we were using, um, there's a mode on them called HSI mode, and um, uh, which as far as I know, most people don't use. They now have uh, a mode called XY mode, which we would have used if it existed back then. But the thing with HSI is you can get to any color that the lamp can make with only two channels, uh, and then the third channel for intensity, and they the lamp tracks really well in terms of as you turn it up and down, it doesn't shift color. So, so we, you don't know more gels? No. So we mapped out all these colors and we mm-hmm. had the chromaticity coordinates for every different, you know, like here's, you know, uh, you know, here's an incandescent light, here's a dusk color, here's a sky color, mm-hmm. here's a here's an incandescent light with a certain gel on it. Here's our flame color. Like if we're, you know, recreate if there's mm-hmm. fire and we're recreating mm-hmm. off-screen fire, here's the flame color. So we had all the chromaticity coordinates that we figured all out in pose in uh, in prep, uh, which I spent a lot of time on. And frustratingly, <laughs> uh, if they would have had the X Y mode, it would have been a lot easier because <laughs> with the X Y mode, it's it, it it's the same exact thing as the H S I mode. That same advantage that you can get to any one of these chromaticity coordinates mm-hmm. uh, with just the three channels, except it's in a meaningful unit. It's in the standardized unit for color rendition that's not even specific to movies. It's just the scientific standard. Okay, is it Kelvin? Uh, no, it's the CIEXY. Oh. I mean, the, the Kel- Kelvin is basically one, li- uh, it's an arc, but it's one line within the, C- the um. CIE uh, 
chromaticity coordinates. Okay. So mm-hmm. you can't get off of that line from daylight to tungsten. Like if you want something to be really green or, you know, flame color, you know, it. it's not like it's, you know, mm-hmm. th- this okay. gets you off of that one line into anywhere in the visible um, light. And uh, so, so uh, with the XY mode, you can just take a spectrometer and meet, like if we wanted to match this light coming in exactly in color, we can take a spectrometer measure the XY coordinate and then put that XY coordinate into the sky panel and, and it'll match it. So that's what we were doing, except we couldn't do it easily like that. We had to sit there and prep and in, you know, I mean, I had the sky panel and a media server in my office and it'd sit there, you know, make you know, with the real illuminant and then the sky panel trying to simulate mm-hmm. it and ki- keep tweaking it until we found <laughs> which chromaticity coordinate matched perfectly. Oh my gosh. And you're doing this yourself. Yeah, I did that myself. <laughs> that's um, amazing. Yeah, so we had this huge list of of the chromaticity coordinates uh, that we would, you know, that the the desk op had pre-programmed, and we would just say, okay, put in this one now, put in that, mm-hmm. that one now. So, so you, you did. Had, you said you did it all in your office. Yeah. So um, for some of the twilight light, mm-hmm. you wouldn't go out and set it. No, I did. Yeah, oh, did yeah, that. I did okay. that out my window. The the dusk color that we came up with was a, one specific dusk that was at Pinewood Studios outside my window on one some one specific day. <laughs> so <laughs> you're nice. even you're even yeah. figuring it out as you're shooting as you're already. At the studio, or is this like you went there for pre-production? Well, the offices were at Pinewood. Okay. Yeah. That's very cool. I like it. Look at the effort and passion you put into (laughs) making sure your photography is right on par. But that's crazy. So the first time you ever used that kind of light was this movie. And so that was a big learning. You had to learn really quickly. Oh, and and I left out that, sorry, but I left out the reason that we wanted them to be controllable with three channels because... um, more commonly, I think the the modes that the the thing has a whole bunch of different control modes. So the HSI that we actually used and the XY mode that we would have used if it had existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that you can get to everything from three channels. The thing that's important about that is that we were we did a bunch of stuff with um, really interactive light. Like if people are flying through things, you know, they can fly through an mm-hmm. explosion or laser bolts and things moving all around them. And we would uh, do that with a media server where we're basically pixel mapping. The, the lights in space so we know how they're changing within by sending an image to them. Um, so that's why it was important that we could get to any um, any one of the any color and intensity that the thing could make with only three channels because because we were using a media server and video always wants to be three channels. I mean there's ways to do it with more than three, but there it gets like exponentially more complicated. Mm-hmm. So that's why we didn't want one of these modes where you need like 10 DMX channels just to be able to define what color and intensity that I'm already lost at what a media server is. What's a media server so, it's computer? Uh, <laughs> well a media mean? server is any uh, I mean there's there's software and hardware versions of it, but it's any system where um, you basically take a video image, mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, you're mapping different parts of the image onto different physical lamps okay. in space. So, okay, you know, so like you know, imagine you have a the rectangle of of the image that you're playing back, and now imagine the rectangle of lights above the stage, and they're all changing in exactly the same pattern. Like if it's dark mm. in the upper right, it's dark in the upper right. You know, so. Um, that's basically what a, what a media. That's usually what's meant uh, in lighting by the by the term media server. There's a lot of science in it, huh? Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of technical stuff to figure out. When shooting, have you ever shot anything and lost it or anything like that? Oh yeah, to- absolutely. Um, that happened on 
Star Wars? Uh, Last I'm, Jedi? I'm not going to talk about Last Jedi, but okay. uh, in general, um, yeah, uh, the 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 probability of something being lost and needed to be reshot was much higher when we were shooting film in terms of uh, when when everything was film. Okay. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more digital now. Um, you know, uh, Last Jedi was was pretty much half and half. Um, but a, oh, it a lot was. Of, yeah, but a lot oh. of a lot of other movies what? I've done recently have been. I figured it would have been all digital, but no, it wasn't. No, it was it was it was roughly roughly fifty fifty. Um, but uh, wow. but yeah, the incidence of problems was a lot higher with film because you could have anything from. You know, okay. uh, you I used know, to be a camera yeah. loader, so yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, scr- you know, scratches, <laughs> you hairs know. in the gate, you know, failures at the lab, um, emul- you know, emulsion problems. Yeah. Um, you know, it was never very common, but it is something that would happen. And then, you know, of course, also, uh, you know, you're more likely with, with film to have, uh, you know, something that's out of focus that you didn't know was out of focus. And then, then you have to decide whether you're, whether you're reshooting it or whether you've gotten out of focus shot in the movie. So. Yeah, cuz you can't see it, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean especially um I mean especially now where it's more likely, you know, there's so much increased use of like steady cams and remote heads. So it, it's hard enough with the film camera for the operator to see it through whether it's in focus or not through the IPC. Mm. That's the only way to really see it at all. They still can't see it as well as as the, the scrutiny you're going to see on the big screen, but they can at least mm. see it. Mm-hmm. But as soon as there's no operator with their eye in the eyepiece, what, because again, mm-hmm. remote heads and steady cams and stuff, you're really just asking the focus puller, "How'd you feel about that one?" And and that's that's the extent of it so and then you'll see and then you'll see when you get the dailies back and you know and and if and if you're on a movie that has a lot of sets um you know the sets could be being turned over right away like you could Yikes. be in the set for one day and and as soon as you finish shooting there they're striking that set to build something else in there and then if you find out it's out of focus or something you know so, so. you can't go back yeah or or you have to do something like uh fake it somewhere else or do a green screen and composite it over a backplate of the set or something mm-hmm. um but uh yeah you kind of ex- obviously don't try to make those mistakes but you kind of accept that if it happens it's part of the deal yeah well i mean w- basically every single movie ever made uh pre-digital <laughs> has out of focus shots in, in them you know there's different amounts of how many shots are out of focus and how out of focus are the out of focus shots mm-hmm. but i mean it's only it's only recently that you can have a movie that either has you know zero out of focus shots or there's only a few and they're incredibly minor. That's a that's a kind of a new um, phenomenon. A new phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You used to see it more. So um, you don't as a, as the director of photography, you don't sh- physically shoot the camera. You have your camera operator shooting the, the camera. Um, yeah, right. yeah. I mean, I, I operate sometimes, but uh, but I do on features. I do always have an operator. So, yeah. um, when's the last feature or last movie that you actually operated the camera on? Can oh, you, you mean where, where I didn't even have an operator? Yeah, or um, you did a lot of the operating. I don't know how it would work. Yeah, I mean, depending on the movie, I'm more or less likely to kind of jump on the camera. Um, and it's not any insult to the operator. It's just. Um, if I get excited about it or something, mm-hmm. um, yeah. or you know, there's also been times where like I'm trying to figure something out about the shot, and it's a complicated move, and then the operator's like, you know, you're going to need to let me do this, or you have to 
do it because I, you're getting the rehearsals and I'm not getting them and it's a tough shot. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, so sometimes it's like that, but the, yeah, I think the last, I don't know what the last movie is that I didn't have an operator at all on. It might've been Brothers Bloom. You um, actually operated the camera on Brothers mm-hmm. yeah. Bloom? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were shooting in Eastern Europe, and yeah. uh, it was low budget, and um, you know, there's no qualified operators there, and they kind of, um, it, it kind of came down to I could either bring a, a dolly grip or an operator, and uh, <laughs> I was like, well, I'm a, I'm a good operator, so uh, you know, I'd rather bring a dolly grip because there weren't mm-hmm. um, at that time. I think you know we were based in Belgrade, and now I think there's a big film infrastructure there but at the time there wasn't there were no qualified operators or dolly grips to be hired locally um so uh, i'm so shocked because that movie was like rachel weiss and adrian brody and mm-hmm. all these like superstars some surprise of such a low budget film yeah i mean it was it was, was low bu- it was low budget for what we were what we were trying to achieve that's for sure you guys but, achieved a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like high action, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of not high, yeah. I guess, compared to what you've been yeah. doing. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's not just a, like a subtle drama. Yeah, it's no, definitely it's got, a lot of stuff yeah. going on. Yeah, there was a lot going on, but it was uh, it was good. We we you know, it's the figure out what you need to get the thing made and and do it that way. I mean, we I mean, that's really what we're doing, even when it is bigger too. Is you're trying you're just figuring out what you need to actually, you know, make the movie. Well, when you're shooting like. Okay, now that you, I figure figure that you're the cinematographer and you're operating the camera mm-hmm. in Brothers Bloom. Are you kind of like, do you get to wing it a little bit more? I mean, you kind of like, let's just try this, try this move. No, I mean, no. I, I, I like designed shots, and Ryan likes designed shots, and mm-hmm. we're 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 usually honing in more and more constantly, not kind of not spiraling. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we design a shot, and then if we change it, it's not it's not because we're completely extemporizing it's because we go hey wouldn't it be even better if we changed it this way um that's especially when it's with i mean that's kind of my my mo anyway um but it's just doubly so when it's with ryan um but that's just me i mean there's different people have very different styles i mean i know we're talking to you right now (laughs) (laughs) Um, i'm wondering about you know how you mind up my mind operates so you operated the camera for the last jedi as well right no, I no. We had camera operators. Okay. Like, I mean, again, there were a few times where I jumped on the you on, did. on the wheels, but it was it was it was uh, even more rare than some of the other uh, movies where I've had operators that I did that. Okay. Which when when did you jump on? Are you allowed to say? <laughs> uh, I'm allowed to, but I don't. I don't actually remember exactly when or why. I mean, I remember there was one. There are very, very few handheld shots in the movie, and I did one of them. Mm. Um, and then there were a few of the regular shots on the wheels, usually on the remote head that I did, but I don't even remember which ones they were. I mean, there's thousands of mm-hmm. shots, and mm-hmm. our operators did most of them. And, yeah. Um, great, great. We had great operators. Gary Spratling was our A camera operator, and he was a fantastic, uh, not just operator, but just a great you know, force to, you know, the operator is kind of a, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of your, uh, you know, ambassador to the actors and everything too, because they're mm-hmm. there physically with everybody. And he's just such a great, great presence and really felt like part of the family. Cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Is it your first time working with him? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, because uh, I, I mean, I hadn't done a movie in London before, and um, oh, they had to hire a crew from London. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we didn't really bring. I mean, the only person that I brought was uh, Jaron Presant, my yeah. who's you know one of my best friends and was our second unit uh, DP, and um, everybody else was local hires. But that's fine because I mean, London has the top some of the top crew in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had all fantastic people, and Dave Smith, the gaffer, is. You know, one of my favorite gaffers ever, and I had worked with him before mm-hmm. um, on Brothers Bloom. Okay, um, so I got to work with one of my favorite gaffers, but it wasn't because I brought him; it's because he lives there oh, anyway. So just he, worked out. Yeah, it just worked out. So that's, that's pretty cool. cool. Oh yeah, just a, a kind of side note onto location or where you filmed mm-hmm. um, when you did reshoots. I'm sure mm-hmm. you had to do some reshoots. Of, right? We did a few small ones. Yeah. Did you have to go back to London? To yeah, do it? yeah, because. Um, they're they're so set up there for all of the there's such a Star Wars specific infrastructure with the you know the creature effects department and all mm-hmm. the props and and also that art department that's all set up to build that stuff where they have like I mean they even have departments that don't exist on any other movie like they have a department that's just the department that puts all the little doodads all over everything <laughs> you know so um, you know the, to, to it's so much cheaper to fly a few people over to London than there is to s- try to rev that whole machine up from scratch for just a few little shots. When they're all there, they're up and yeah. running. They're doing another Star Wars movie. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're, oh they're all there and ready to go. So, yeah. And I guess you don't mind going back to London, do you? No, I like do you London. Like it there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you have like a spot you stay out there? I mean, is it like, do, you, do they put you up in a hotel or do you kind of have a rent a place and hang out there for a few months? Yeah, well, when I was there for the movie, I was in a in a flat in Notting Hill because I was there for over a year straight. So, wow. um, but all the other times, uh, hotels like when because I had some non non consecutive prep before the main prep started, and then yeah. of course when I came back for the additional photography, that also stayed in um, hotels. Cool. I have not. Have you been to London? I have not. I've been to different parts of England? France and oh, Europe, Spain. Yeah. I'd like to. Well, I've been to so. London for about uh, two days. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it really well. Really no, well, but I got yeah. a sense of, I was like, oh, this place seems way cooler than I was going to give it credit yeah. for. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pretty cool place. but Pretty yeah. powerful city. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I, I always stayed in Notting Hill just because it's kind of the, it seems like it's kind of the closest um, or the shortest drive to Pinewood while still being in the city and not like just in, sort of out in the outskirts or in the middle of nowhere. So it was just kind of a balance. Sounds good. So Pinewood, is it not in the city? No, it's like in in no traffic at all, which pretty much never happens. It's probably like a 35-minute drive from Notting Hill or so. But okay. like usually in the morning, realistically, it's like 45 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. So You didn't have a driver? I did have a driver. I was going to say, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Got to work, make use of your time, right? In the back of the, the car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's testing his light chrome, uh, <laughs> what do you call it? <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually was doing uh, some color science sometimes in the back of the car. <laughs> See? Uh, yeah. Not always, but yeah. Um, so you, you, the director of The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson, is, has been one of your best friends since um, college. Yeah, right. since uh, I met Ryan when uh, I was a senior in high school and he was a freshman in college. Oh, so. really? Wow. Oh, even so, it was pre film school days. Yeah, we met. Uh, we were both volunteering to just uh, help out on a student film at USC. And, 
That's so cool. Yeah. Do you remember the first um, film that you and Ryan worked on together? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, we made, <laughs> we were a, f- a friend of mine who is uh, um, gone on to be one of the most uh, benevolent, uh, actively benevolent people I know. He's a um, civil rights attorney in San Francisco. Was mm-hmm. running for uh, some kind of uh, city college board or something on mm-hmm. the on the local ballot, and we were <laughs> we were going to make a commercial for him. Nice. Uh, and he didn't show up, so we just made a we just like made a random little <laughs> short film, and uh, you know it's like twenty seconds long or something. With and, what? and do you guys star in it? Yeah, uh, do you guys film just, each other? No, it was some like it was just some friend from school who happened to be there. I don't I don't remember. So it was yeah. Do you remember <laughs> the called, name of it? Uh, <laughs> I'd rather not say. Okay. <laughs> I do. Or I'll but I'd go rather find it say. somewhere yeah, on exactly. the corners of the internet. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's some other pretty early stuff of ours, though. That um, like the kind of the first thing we did that was actually planned was uh, just a wacky chase scene called uh, "Hey Lady, You Dropped Your Wallet," and that we shot in <laughs> uh, that, that we shot in San Francisco, and it's an Easter egg on uh, I forget either Brothers Bloom or Looper. Oh. Uh, disc. It's you mean oh, like what does an, that mean? an extra. It's 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 on there, but it's hidden. Like you have to, you know, like oh, go in to the, the movie. No, no, on the oh, disc, on disc. On the disc. Yeah. yeah, like you have Ooh. to, like in the menu, you have to go to, you know, go to the end of the menu and then push up two times or something. You know, I don't know. Do you have that on disc on your wall right That's now? Uh, yeah, but I don't, <laughs> yeah, but I don't remember how to get to, it. and I don't remember which one of the, the hidden lo- hidden track. Yeah, Looper, Looper, and Brothers Bloom. I don't remember which is which, but one has "Hey Lady, You Dropped Your Wallet," and the other one has our. Um, the student film that we that we actually made for school, not just during school, but for school uh, a year or two later, called uh, "Evil Demon Golf Ball from Hell," <laughs> which is uh, it's basically a Telltale Heart with uh, with a golf ball. So. <laughs> oh my gosh! I think that's I saw cool. That I want to find those. It's actually on your IMDb page. That one. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think that one might also be just available on like YouTube or Vimeo or something. I'm not sure, but yeah, we made that 16 millimeter in film school. Black and white. Do you um, know how many films you guys have made together? I mean, if you include just all those little homemade movies now, because <laughs> I, mean, I mean, when we lived in the, when we lived in the, uh, we were roommates for two years in college, and we would just sometimes we'd just be like, hey, you want to shoot something this weekend? And we would just make something up, and you know, Friday night we'd say, hey, do you want to shoot something? And by Sunday <laughs> night we had it edited and done sound, and you know, oh, they were just like. Homemade junky things of just kind of practicing. That's um, so perfect. It was, it was no fun. wonder you guys got so good. Well, yeah. you guys found your focus early in, your, <laughs> yeah. in life. I mean, you went to film. You knew what you wanted to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. When you were you always was it always like he's the director and you're the cinematographer or you're the camera uh, person? Pre- pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, I you know in, I mean by my freshman year in college, I remember thinking, wow, that it would be great if. You know what I could do with my life is just be Ryan's DP. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know if I didn't know if he'd he'd be down for that or not. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so obviously so, he was down for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. What about lucky, lucky me? <laughs> yeah. Lucky him. What about that moment when um, he like told you that he got Star Wars or was how did that go? Because was he surprised or did he know he was going to get it? And then how did? No, he come so, to you. So, um, yeah, that, <laughs> I was doing a movie in Australia, and I got a text from him that said, uh, "Can you talk on the phone? I have something interesting to discuss." 
and uh, <laughs> he he, he kind of never sends a text like that. And um, honestly, I was and and because of the time difference, it was like over twenty four hours before we were able to figure out a time where we could mm-hmm. talk. And uh, in that time, I was genuinely super depressed because oh. the only thing I could imagine it was because I knew that he couldn't have already like finished writing his movie and be ready to go with it. So the only thing I could imagine it was, was he had taken a job, like kind of a hired gun type job Mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to be able to do because I was on this movie and, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd be missing Orion because I I literally was racking my brain. I was like, I can't think of anything else that this could possibly be. Uh (laughs) And then when I finally got on the phone with him, he starts with some other Things he's like, oh, I had I had uh, lunch with uh, David Fincher the other day. I'm like, oh wow, you met David Fincher? That's fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, it was really cool. And then and then and then he kind of slowly gets to, uh, so so I didn't know any of this was even on the table. He suddenly gets to, he's been offered Star Wars to do the next Star Wars. He's accepted it, and he's already laid the groundwork to bring me along if I want to do oh it. Gosh. So, like, I got kind of got everything all at once, and and you know the idea that it was actually going to be a Ryan movie because even though it was a franchise film, it wasn't a hired gun movie. It's he, he's writing it. It's a, yeah. it's a Ryan movie. So mm-hmm. even though it's a sequel, it's still it's still his thing. It's not just a. And so, what did gun you say? Movie. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said, well, I'll have to think about. It. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I, yeah, no, I was, uh, yeah, I was so excited. I don't, I don't remember what I said exactly. So. That is exciting. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> when he was writing it, did you, did you ever talk to people about what he was writing about, or was he like in a, his own writing hole and it was secretive, or was he ever like, hey, man, what do you think about this idea? You know, you know, I talked to him more about it when, when it was in the incredibly vague stage, like when he was trying to figure out what even sort of the themes were. I actually mm-hmm. talked to him more about it at that stage than in the, you know, Ooh. than in the stages where it was starting to crystallize into, into anything. So um, by the time I saw. Um, more concrete stuff. It was it was pretty much finished. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, you know, he was certainly talking to the you know the Lucasfilm people and all that at at, at certain mm-hmm. stages. I mean, sometimes he would just go in and write, and then he'd come back and talk to him at certain stages. But I, I mean, I wasn't even there for all that, so I don't know all the all the details. I heard um, on some podcasts, and they were like thinking about the next one and how they they loved the last jedi and and they were like excited and then remembering something about that the next one Ryan doesn't get you guys <laughs> you guys don't get to do and they were like give give that guy a trilogy come on <laughs> yeah well i mean Ryan was never going to do number 9 that was mm-hmm. never you know it's not mm-hmm. like that was a <clears throat> it's not like that was a change or anything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, Just a, a fan's dream. Yeah. <laughs> I was listening to an interview, gosh, with Ryan, where he's asked about um, um, filming locations, and he talked about how you ended up filming even before principal photography began on this island in Ireland. Yes, Skellig Michael. Yeah, and it was just like a small crew. What, mm-hmm. Who was all involved in that? Yeah, so uh, there was only a very small window where we could actually shoot there, I think. I mean, it just had to be those days. Why? Because it, um, it's, a, um, it's a wildlife preserve, and there's, there's birds there. There's um, puffins and other wildlife that have, like, <laughs> all these nesting cycles that can't be tampered with mm-hmm. and um so that was just the only time when we were allowed to be there which was before the shoot so by a couple months so we went out there and shot for 
I think two days. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it really had to be small. Everything had to be hand carried up all those stairs and, you know, you, you got to, you know, go on this long boat ride and, um, that sounds fun. yeah. So, uh, I mean, did you end up sleeping out there no, or you no, know, every no, night you go nothing. back and then yeah, you go back out? Yeah. It's, yeah, it was about an hour on the boat. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it there's nothing there. It's, it's, uh, it was a, uh, like a monk's Island and it, isn't really there's pretty much not much there that wasn't there before i think there's like a a, a lighthouse and that's mm-hmm. it um so yeah it's there there's no there's almost no kind of facilities of any kind um but uh so we shot there for two days because it's like the the iconic location that's you know yeah. that's recognizable from so Force you had um, so mark hamill mm-hmm. there and uh and daisy uh, daisy yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and we did all the, all the aerials, uh, you know, um, all the aerials and a bunch of the shots where you can really see the exact space and the landscape. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then, but then most of the Jedi Island stuff was, or, or a larger percentage of it was shot still on location in Ireland, but not on Skellig. We went back during the main shoot for a couple of weeks and we shot at a whole bunch of different headlands, okay. which, you know, looked really similar. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, you're in Ireland out there on the edge, you know, the rocky edge by the water, except it's just not inaccessible. Mm-hmm. You know, we can drive the trucks up to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and they built, you know, they actually built the, the Jedi Island there on, um, one, one of the headlands, I forget, I forget which one, I think it might be, was it Sybil head? It was one mm-hmm. of, one of the headlands. I forget, I forget which one now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the aerial shots was your cameraman you're talking about, or was there like a second unit guy up there? Uh, we shooting? had we had an aerial DP, but oh, so okay. so you know I would uh, you know basically I would uh, you know we we gave him a list of shots, but then also to just go get a bunch of stuff, and you know I gave him you know a, a bunch of information about you know how how works like the exposure logic that we're using just to make sure that it's not overexposed or anything you know because sometimes mm-hmm. they're. Uh, there's a tendency to think that if you overexpose, that's safer. But it's like, no, actually, mm. the safest you can do is expose it correctly. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I kind of, uh, so I just kind of gave them the rundown on how we're exposing, and then some things about some of our specific shots that we were doing, like you know, give us a, you know, give us a static version before the move and all that. And so he went out and, you know, he did tons and tons of stuff on his own. But then all of the stuff where it's with the actors. Uh, kind of Ryan was directing it and we were talking to, oops, sorry, I keep doing that. It's okay. It's a theme um, for the yeah. podcast. Uh, R- R- Ryan was directing it and we were kind of talking to him remotely over some kind of a, I forget what kind of comm it was because it couldn't have just been a regular radio because of the distance, but um, regular walkie talkie. But uh, so, you know, we were actually timing things. Like I think there's a shot where uh, you see, is it Daisy or Daisy Ann Mark going up the stairs and it's a super, you know, it's like an aerial straight down shot. Yeah. And we did that, you know, we would actually time that out and, you know, Tom we did a few passes on it. And ago. Said, yeah. Um, so, you know, we did a bunch of, bunch of stuff like Wasn't that. Wasn't Chewbacca there too? Or is that different? Um, I don't, I mean, Chewbacca was on the Jedi Island, but, but I don't think he later. was at Skellig Michael. Okay. Yeah. I still need to know how, how big is this? I mean, so did Daisy have a, her makeup artist and hair there? Oh yeah, you yeah. have all those people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we had we had a we had a proper crew. It, it just there wasn't you know you can't do stuff like 
you know, you can't do huge lighting setups or anything because everything's got to be hand carried and you can only put it in specific spots. So not, not only can you not get the stuff there like generators mm-hmm. and big stuff, but even if you could, mm-hmm. there's no place where you can physically put it. You have to stay on paths and, and stuff. And there are only a very few places where we could even go off of paths and, and kind of yeah. matted down areas because of the bird, the bird nesting. Did you ever have like someone like holding a light in a weird way just to make sure because you can't because you can't put it on the edge of a mountain uh i don't think we used any lights i think we only used bounces and um i I think the gaffer brought a couple of smaller lights and a Mm -hmm. a little uh um you know a little generator not not like Mm -hmm. a tow plant obviously but a smaller one but uh Mm -hmm. i don't think we used any of that we we probably only used the i mean i don't remember now but we probably only used the generator just for you know, charging batteries and for video and stuff like that. And, and, uh, all the light, uh, yeah, we didn't do any lighting with, with lights. It was all just bounces or negative mm-hmm. fill and stuff. And the weather cooperated? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it, it all looked good. It looks there, like a yeah. windy kind of. Yeah. There was a little. Rugged place. Yeah. I mean, it's Ireland. So the, the weather's always changing mm-hmm. really, really suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, it all looked great. I mean, there was nothing we could do about the fact that, um, you know, we, we, sh- we shot what's literally supposed to be the same exact moment as Force Awakens and they had overcast and we had sun, Ooh, yeah. but it's, a, it's okay. It's a different movie. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. yeah. What the, when she hands him the uh, yeah. lightsaber. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Um, so no series we, what about craft services? They came, they came to? <laughs> I, I really don't remember the details at this point. You we don't? did, we did have food. I don't know if there was. Lots of craft service. I mean, Sack we had l- we had lunch. I don't I don't know if we had craft service. I don't I don't I honestly just don't remember what. Yeah. What about a bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> there was I'm <laughs> pushing it bizarrely here. specific questions about the. Uh, yes, the mechanism there's bathrooms. Of the, yes, no there, bathrooms yeah. in the yeah. Jedi temples. Yeah. Um. <laughs> just wondering. So you guys film. When did you guys do the island um, scenes? Was that uh, in the I middle of think, filming, or? Uh, well, the Skellig was before filming by two two oh, months okay. before we started principal, and then the rest of the Ireland stuff was uh, kind of two thirds of the way through. We, you know, it was kind of like a yeah, it was you know felt like a little break or like a field trip. Like we've been going for because it's such a long shoot. We've been going yeah. for a while, and it's like okay, now we're going to go to Ireland for two weeks. And, yeah, you know, so. and so most of it was in studio, right? Most of the movie, yes. yeah, because you know, space. So yeah, <laughs> not a lot of space. Yeah, not, yeah, not, yeah. There's no, there's no real location to go to to be on spaceships. And, yeah, not know. yet. Yeah. <laughs> what about um, shooting on CGI? Um, so in studio, mm-hmm. you were working on on set, either on set or with um, C- using a green screen for CGI and yeah, post- yeah. I mean, we didn't. We had very little that was just hundred uh, percent green screen. I mean, yeah. actually, almost almost nothing. So okay. even even the places that are largely uh, like CG set extensions, they're still a set that they're interacting with. Even if okay. it's you know, even yeah. if it's one of the sets where it's mo- you know, like in the big hangar, obviously, where the only thing you're seeing in the distance is the deep distance with. Mm-hmm. You know, Tie Fighters hanging from ceilings and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. you know, that's you know, obviously that's CG. But even that's not just them on a you know empty mm-hmm. green screen. I mean, we've got the floor and and yeah. you know all this immediate whatever the immediate surroundings are. 
Um, and, and even that, <clears throat> there weren't a lot of those, even those, you know, I mean, even like the, <clears throat> you know, like, you, like that, the one I was just mentioning was like the, the huge mega hanger in the um, first order ship. But, you know, like the, even the, uh, the rebel, uh, the resistance hanger was much more of a build. Like it's, I mean, we really are on a huge hanger set. Yeah, cool. And yes, there's CG that's extending the set. Yeah. You know, to make it look huge and deep, but mm -hmm. all, like everything, I mean, we're actually shooting in a big hangar with, with actual like X-wings or half X-wings and stuff That's sitting so cool. there. I so. mean, does it really affect the way you have to approach the shot or is it kind of more the art direction where things are placed knowing that they're going to be like, I mean, how is it a complicated uh, situation? It, <clears throat> it depends on what, what you're doing. Like in the example that I just gave of the hangar. Um, we don't do anything different, but they, you know, they're going to make a CG set extension that matches, uh, what we're doing, you know, what we did because they're just extending the set. Okay. But in another situation, um, you know, uh, you know, like if we're shooting, uh, you know, if we're shooting a foreground element where somebody's supposed to be interacting with something they're moving through and they're not really moving through it, we need to do interactive lighting that's going to match, uh, you know, like, oh, you know, like mm -hmm. when, the, when, when Rose and Finn are on the Fathers, for example, you know, they're, you know, we had, not only was the camera motion control to match the shots, but the actual, uh, motion base that they were on was motion control, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's, you know, moving exactly the way it's supposed to move for the shot. And, you know, we've got the light moving exactly the way it's supposed to be for them, mm -hmm. uh, for the background that they're going to be going through. So, you know, I mean, every shot, you know, we we figure it out together with the visual effects supervisor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we and we also decide. You know, and we even talk about if if it's you know because because there's a lot of versions. There's CG set extensions. There's things where you have actors that are going to be put in in a CG world. Then you have things that that aren't CG but they're composites where the foreground and the background are both photographed but they're going to be put together. So we might have a discussion where we're like, well, it would be nice to shoot the back plate before the foreground because we can't control the lighting in the back plate and uh, that way we can match it properly in the foreground but in this case we can't do that mm -hmm. so you know we'll we pretty much guess what it's going to be and and you know match it as best we can you know so we kind of strategize all that stuff and do it um, we either do it the the best way that could be done or the best way that can be done given the real circumstances do you guys do that when you're on set, or is that pre? -staffing? No, that's all. It's all figured out. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, I mean, there, there, you know, micro things we decide on uh -huh. set, but all the uh, big stroke, you know, mm -hmm. broad strokes are decided. Seems in like advance. a lot of planning and brain space. I mean, <laughs> you must be like laser focused on this for months. Yeah, but it's you know, kind of like I said before, it's not. We actually have enough time and prep, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, we also didn't have, you know, there's a lot of movies where like the, these days where the script is always changing and a lot of the prep you do gets thrown out the window. So even though you have a lot, a lot of actual, you know, technically you have a lot of prep time, like you're actually on the payroll for a long time, mm -hmm. you might not actually be getting anything done because you prep all this and then it changes and it's something else anyway. Okay. But I mean, but Ryan wrote this script and we pretty much stuck to it. So we really were prepping the movie really well. So you have enough time to do it. So you have one meeting where you're talking about, okay, we're just talking about how are we going to do the the crate battle stuff, you know, and we, you know, and going through it, like what if the exterior, you know, what if all the exteriors are on location? What if some of them are on location? 
What, you know, what, if we which should, battle? Uh, the crate battle, the, the okay. end, the, the, uh, the salt planet, the white salt yeah, yeah, planet. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah, questions yeah. about the salt planet. Because yeah. where was that shot? That couldn't have been Ireland. No, the um, <laughs> the all the all the reference plates and and a few of the exteriors are shot in um, in Bolivia, the salt salt flats there in Bolivia, okay. uh, and um, and then there was also a huge build uh, in at Pinewood on the paddock tank. So it was actually exterior, but it was a huge like the whole trench mm-hmm. um, and part okay. of those those big gun turrets that are. <laughs> Lining the trench yeah. uh, were built on the paddock tank, um, and uh, yeah. So, um, and whose and, vision was the um, the red, awesome red, like scraping? That, oh, well, that's Ryan's idea. That Ryan. uh, yeah, absolutely. I and, loved and, it. <laughs> and, he, and he did, a, and he did a lot of honing with um, visual effects, practical effects, and and uh, you know our production designer Rick to to figure out exactly what they wanted that to be. And then of course we were contributing too, because, you know, we had our, 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 our show, our show look or our show LUT uh, was intended to look like traditional contact printing. So uh, we didn't print any film. So we, sh- we shot on film and we shot on digital, but we didn't traditionally contact print any film, but okay. that was kind of the look we wanted. So, okay. you know, we, you know, part of what happened in prep was building, you know, Building the LUTs with all of this color science and data sets to match that, and uh, you know uh, that helped with it too because they were able to. It, it's almost like we were able to do some, uh, tie their hand in a way that helped them because as they pushed the colors farther, like as the visual effects guys, not the practical effects guys, you know, mm-hmm. as they pushed the colors farther, you know, the LUT would keep it in a realm that it still looked. Uh, organic or or photochemical because as totally you, organic yeah because as you start turning stuff up it can be in a purely digital world with no um, sort of algorithm you know like yeah. it, it, kind of uncapped digital if you just mathematically and very simply turn it up it can start looking very electronic so. mm-hmm. you basically saying you pre prepped your the way you filmed the scenes or your cameras. Mm. So that it would get the result you wanted in the end that had that film, uh, you call it photographic or uh, certain looks. Con- contact printing look, yeah. Contact printing look so that the visual effects guys, when they pushed up the color of that red, it wasn't going to get all crazy and mm-hmm. digital and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they could push it even farther and not. And so, so, you know, almost ironically, I think sometimes to them it felt like they were being limited because, you know, mm-hmm. they had to push it through this LUT that was not letting them get to absolutely anything. But even though they may have felt frustrated and felt <laughs> I think it was actually freeing because you can push it farther and not have it go so crazy, you okay. know, so. But from there, I mean, you have a kind of a side project passion of yours that you've um, been creating over the last few years too, right? That's um, your demos, color science kind of demos, or what would you call them? Yeah, um, I mean... The, the part of it that, yeah, the uh, you know, this kind of, I don't know if it's educational or whatever, but I have the, a couple of demos and a bunch of, you know, kind of papers that I've put out, like the On Color Science document. Um, that's It's both text and image galleries. Um, on Color Science, it's kind of like an intro to color science for filmmakers. Um, but the sort of uh, 
I mean, yeah, it is kind of just an obsession that I've ended up spending way too much time <laughs> on. But the main part of it isn't sort of the outreach or educational part. That almost came out of the other thing. Um, mm -hmm. the, the main part is the stuff that I do that's the really sort of, you know, nuts and bolts, nitty gritty, you know, the actual like math and fussing around and data sets and, and all that, which is way too sort of too much minutia to put in the outreach stuff. I mean, I'd have to write like whole textbook or something to have all the, mm -hmm. all the fine grained detail. Um, A but, thesis. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, but can you, can you explain it in layman's terms kind of? There's um, part one and part two, right? Uh, on your what website. You're, what you're demonstrating? Yeah, well, there's different things. I mean, you're, the part one and part two that you're talking about is the resolution demo, which uh, honestly, I, it's not even that interesting of a topic to me. I mean, the reason I made the demo was because I'm like, why are we still talking about this? This should not be a topic. So. <laughs> you're talking about like so, film versus video. Okay. No, not not in the resolution. Digital. Not in oh, the resolution. Okay. There's the there's the display prep demo and there's the resolution demo. The resolution demo is about resolution. It's not about. Uh, oh, but basically, what we took out of it. Uh -huh. Is that I mean, in very very simple terms, was that is that um, people keep talking about resolution and like 4K and blah blah mm -hmm. blah and pushing things higher, and you're saying we've your digital with resolution is already at where it needs to be for the human eye, and that's not what. But I'm not matters. saying digital. I mean, that's any. Resolution. It's not a digital versus film. Okay. The the display prep demo is about, um, but both of the demos are are. They're about two totally different topics, but they're both about a, basically a superstition that's been in, so deeply ingrained that everybody uh, takes it as a premise without actually testing it or looking at the real evidence, you know, almost like a religion. I was going to say, and, yeah. And in the case of the resolution demo, it's that um, more resolution looks better and looks a certain way. And that and and that this is the belief that doesn't align with the facts, but it's so deeply ingrained mm -hmm. that even you know when people are presented with the real evidence, there there's this kind of uh, desire to want to twist the incoming facts or cherry pick anecdotal evidence to uh, to to want to keep the belief up. Like I don't yeah. want my belief to have been wrong, but you're like, <laughs> but here is the evidence, you know. And um, so so it's it's several things. It's one. What does more resolution, you know, even look like? So it's one is is resolution even quantified by these Ks? Because there's this obsession with having to know the K, this K count, and then the other, uh, which which I think is a, a again a superstition, so that's not borne out by the evidence. And then the other superstition is that ever increasing resolution is going to keep looking better and better to the eye, where. Whereas in fact, uh, you know, both the evidence and even just simple logic, if you take out the fact the the, the way we've been um, conditioned to believe this stuff by advertising, by people who can upsell you on TVs and stuff, if you take out the mm. <laughs> advertising conditioning and just think about it, mm -hmm. when the, the, it sounds bigger, more K sounds bigger, but it's actually smaller. More Ks means whatever the size of the screen is, the pixels are smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So at some point they're going to be small enough that making them smaller won't make a difference. Mm -hmm. Like if clearly mm -hmm. if the pixels were the size of an atom, you wouldn't be making it smaller isn't going <laughs> to yeah. affect because you already can't see it. So at mm -hmm. some point it's going to be either uh, literally or practically invisible for all practical practical purposes for cinema. You know, it's a different thing if you're, if you're, um, you know, if you're trying to make like a, you know, a spy drone or something, that's different 
set of criteria than cinema. But mm-hmm. with cinema where there's a there's a maximum, you know, or you know, a minimum distance you would ever sit from the screen, um, you know, there is a limit to what we can see at some point. Making the pixels smaller is just simply doesn't change the the how it actually looks to the human eye, which does not have infinite resolution. Um, and, yeah. and so this ever increasing, this chase to ever increase, like, okay, you know, from 2K to 4K is four times the data rate. Everything quadruples and you're getting, you know, at best like a 1% perceptual increase <laughs> and, and more likely no perceptual <laughs> increase whatsoever. Mm. And now they're talking about 8K. You know, mm-hmm. so so that's the superstition. <laughs> so you, so, you know, so that's the superstition that the resolution demo addresses, and the superstition that the display prep demo addresses is this. You know, again, ingrained cultural belief where we've been um, pre-programmed to believe that the camera brand or the camera type enforces a look, but in reality, I mean, the camera is really just surveying light that was in front of the lens and Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. look the way that that information is shown to the audience is really defined in the in the processing steps which used to be completely fixed when we you know when everything was film and you had to contact print film so not just when we were shooting film but before uh digital color grading it felt like um you know, the, the film stock made the look because you couldn't change anything. You couldn't change the part where the look was being interpreted by the print stock. You just had to use the print stock. Mm-hmm. Um, so it felt like no, that, that, that all the look came from the, the negative or the, your camera net, your, you know, your camera type. Um, but, but really the, the, the interpret, if you think about it, the negative doesn't have any look or any correct look. Cause if you look at the negative, it's flat, it's backwards, it's orange, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the look is from the transformation of how it, how the negative goes to the print stock. Mm-hmm. And, um, now that there, it's not fixed, we can basically have any print stock by having any, any lookup table because basically in digital world, the lookup table is your print stock. Okay. Um, you can build any you can build any look you want and the and the data that the camera captured can be shown any which way like if 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 you like that you know uh if you like that uh some one film stock shows a certain color a certain way after you print it then you can take any digital camera and map that color to to be that viewing color um the, the but the fact that that's possible to do doesn't mean people are actually doing it. Mm-hmm. So we have a we have a feedback loop of people point to the past to say, "See, look, all these digital movies look really digital, and all these film movies look really filmy." And mm-hmm. that's why my superstition that film has one look and digital has another look is true. And you're like, "No, the reason <clears throat> the reason that you've seen one look that's associated with digital and another that's associated with film." is because people already believe this, so they keep doing the same thing. <laughs> if you did something different, mm-hmm. you know, if you actually did all the, you know, the, the math, you know, collect the data sets and do the math, um, you know, you, you can map any, any capture format to any, uh, you know, uh, viewing um, characteristics that you want. But again, the fact that it's possible doesn't mean that any one specific person knows how to do it. You have to actually know how to do it to, yeah. to achieve Are it. Are they teaching any of this in film school? Not really. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. um, you it, didn't it's, learn it's, it in film school. You can, no. you can sell your uh, 
data to something. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm not trying. The thing is, I, I don't want to be in. There's so much misinformation. I don't, and and there's so many players that that are invested in their product. I don't want to be another person selling a product. I've kind of positioned myself to be a, a you know somebody that's kind of you know even-handed about this stuff and a source of real information and i think if i'm selling something that's going to be it's going to undermine the the credibility there yeah i like the way that you present it it's just kind of like here's the facts and <laughs> you check it out for yourself and mm-hmm. decide what you think and no ab- absolutely from there i guess um <laughs> you could find uh those demos on your website yeah, yeah. where yes. can you find those demos? And i'm sure there's someone out there yeah. that's actually fascinated with the details yeah um yeah, some people are. Yeah, some people yeah, are. Some, some I feel are. like you approach life like that. I mean, you must <laughs> like you assess things or like, where's the truth and all in, in what people are saying and. Well, there's a lot of in, science yeah. there. You have to be able to understand all the different. But even yeah. like a Factors. sociology or something yeah. or psychology. Well, I do. I do. I do think it has analogs to some bigger stuff that's going on in society. I mean, even you know, you look at you know. Uh, Climate change deniers and and stuff like that. Or I mean, flat it's, earthers. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's the it's the <clears throat> you know it's the same thing where it's, you know you you know it's that pseudoscience of starting with a deeply held belief and then ignoring any information that that contradicts it, even if you know. But science science doesn't first assert how the world is and then and then twist all the incoming information to match that belief. I mean, real. Real science and real understanding of the physical world means you have to look at the realities and mm-hmm. and adjust and adjust your theories to, yeah. to to fit. As more information comes in, you make a better and better theory. You don't you don't hold fast to the original theory no matter how much in, information contradicts it. I would have a, f- a few more questions before mm-hmm. we wrap up because I'm just curious about your shooting style and some stuff. And I don't know if this is like totally me trying to find something or if it's true. Or it's like mm-hmm. But um, you know, I've seen. Like I saw Brick before. I didn't even know that was and Brothers Bloom. I didn't know they didn't know you even worked on those films. Mm-hmm. Like when I saw them Looper. years ago, mm-hmm. and yeah, Looper I watched more recently. Um, but and I look back at the trailers just to kind of get a look at like a quick um, look at the visuals of, of it. And your style seems to be. I was trying to like assess what your style is, and I feel <laughs> like you shot them all differently ish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had a similar style with a you have a soft. You like to use a like kind of a natural like look. It looks mm. natural, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, although I'm assuming it's not. Um, and you're not afraid to put things in the like be darker. Like people mm-hmm. can be in the shadows and turn into light. Like almost like you're really in a room, but it's kind of darker. But some. But then there's like different kind of camera movements you use in those films to have a different feeling. Like Brothers Bloom seemed like you had like you pushed in or like I wouldn't call it zoom like. But like there'd be like kind of like a comedic element to some of the way you shot it, mm-hmm. and is that kind of the thought process or how you approach things? Or, or yeah, what? I mean, uh, you know, obviously you're ta- you're specifically talking about the movies I've done with Ryan, which are the ones I you know the, well, some of the, the ones, ones some I of my at, favorite ones, some and, of your favorite yeah. ones on your reel that I looked at, uh, and um, so you know, so so part of it's you know Ryan style, of course, but um, yeah, I think with lighting, I mean, the answer about the lighting, the answer about the camera too. Two different things. I mean, I know I did go um, <laughs> two different directions with that, but um, I guess we could start with the lighting. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the 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 principle is something that Ryan calls um, theatrical realism, which is not a it's not a methodology. It's just kind of a, a way of thinking about it, mm-hmm. like a philosophy. And um, <clears throat> you know, it basically means that we want it to be 
realistically motivated, but we're not tying our hands to some sort of formal realism with a capital R. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, and quite the opposite. We want it designed and heightened and and very theatrical. So this so the concept comes from realism, like, you know, in this room we're sitting in, we've got, you know, these windows mm-hmm. open, but no light coming from within the room. So, you know, in a situation like that, we wouldn't want to feel this kind of artificial light coming from every which way in a big backlight just because in movies there's supposed to be a backlight or something like yeah. that. You know, mm-hmm. we, so we want it motivated by by the story and and or the themes. Um, or, you know, it can be it can be abstract like the themes, or it can just be literal, like, you know, this is what's physically happening in the room. So we want to motivate it by that, but we don't, you know, we don't want to be sla- slavishly literal about it. We mm-hmm. want to, we actually want it to be heightened to where, yes, that's what's motivating it, but it, but it's kind of beyond what's exactly real in that, um, you know, in that kind of a circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of the general. Reality, but better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, you got to make it better, right? Yeah. I mean, if you want to be all articulate about it, then yeah. (laughs) We don't. You're not as articulate as you, Steve. I'm limited. I have a limited use of words, and that's not great for a podcast. But that's the truth. Um, But I also noticed that in a lot of movies, you don't have a problem sticking in like a backlight. That's Mm -hmm. kind of like. For effect, where like a, like a flare into the camera, mm, mm-hmm. and I yeah. feel like I've seen that in several several of your movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that kind of an added style element that you're just like this scene to be cool with that? Or are we or is it kind of like oh well, we need a is to be backlit to separate the characters, and might as well just shoot into it and get the <clears> flare or like. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't necessarily tie flares with backlights, um, uh, but. But yeah, I mean, in general, any type of any type of sort of upstage light tends to look more cinematic and dramatic mm-hmm. and theatrical than front light. Um, not that I'm also I'm also not afraid to use more frontal light, but um, you know, in general, uh, the the more up you know upstage you know the the light is the you know looks more dramatic, um, but. That doesn't, you know. I mean, sometimes the, the you know, having a, a, a literal flare in the shot um, doesn't necessarily go with the backlight because, you know, potentially, uh, if it's something that's actually creating the main illumination and it's in the shot, that it could potentially be way too bright of a flare. So sometimes you'd have a flare that's. So a, it is added in for for style. Yeah. What? Wait. What do you mean? Like you'll stick a light in, not necessarily for. A practical reason, except for it's more of a stylistic reason. Um, I mean, we always want it. I mean, not. I shouldn't even say always. I mean, sometimes yes, but usually you want it to be more. Do want it to be more of a story point, you know, like that. It's it's something that makes sense and is part of the scene. It's not just Mm. a random. uh, I mean, I I don't. I don't like just random, completely random flares. Um, Mm. You know, you you, um, you know the closest to random that. That, that I would say is, you know, sometimes if there's like a dark area where it makes sense that something might be there and we don't know what it is, it's just something, mm-hmm. you know, you put it there just to get the contrast. So instead of an all dark area, you have an all dark area next to a flare mm. or something like that. But, you know, you know, more likely it's, um, you know, something that's part of the story. I mean, like in, in Last Jedi when, uh, well, can we do spoilers or? 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Do, no, do spoilers. Just do spoilers. If <laughs> well, you have not uh, listened to it by yeah. now and you're listening yeah. to this, you can stop right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now let's go on. I want to yeah. hear this. Well, anyway, when I mean, just like when Luke's walking out into the, you know, into the battlefield, I mean, that's that sun coming in through the, you know, you're, you're in the dark mine and there's the, mm-hmm. the hole blown in the door and that sun coming in, mm-hmm. you know, couldn't be more part of the story. It's not just a, Hey, let's put a flare there. I mean, this whole thing of the sun is, the sun is setting and he's walking out into from the dark into mm-hmm. that and, you know, face into the light. And, you know, I mean, that was always part of the design and the idea and, um, you know, it's it's the kind of the farthest thing from kind of just randomly sticking a flare in. There, yeah, you know? yeah. Well, even things. Okay, there's a scene, and this is not a flare, mm-hmm. but okay. When Finn and Rose are like arrested <laughs> after the gambling scene, I don't know the name mm-hmm. of that area, yeah. you know, but in, Canto Bay, yeah. and um, they are thrown into the jail cell with uh, Benicio del Toro. Mm-hmm. He's on the bunk beds, but there's like a bunch of holes that are obviously. I mean, they could be. Mm-hmm air holes or window holes, but there definitely were lights like shining yeah. in. Oh, those were and, flares. Those were huge flares. Yeah, yeah, and they're flaring. And I noticed yeah. that's kind of one of the first times I was like, okay, that was an intentional and looked cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved it. Yeah. Um, so I was just about what your thought process on that. Was that part of the design yeah. or just? Yeah, you know what? That was one of the very few things where we really changed the whole concept sort of on the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Ryan and I kind of got there, and we were like, "Let's um, let's go more." Uh, we kind of decided to go kind of like more Sam Fuller with it, like where this is just this like really extreme, like everything's like you know, bar, you know, shadows of bars projected onto the wall, and and you know, very stark like shafts with ba- you know, mm-hmm. sh- you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, smoke with light shafts, and yeah. and where the whole thing was kind of going to be this like overly dramatic shadow play where we're almost using the set more like a like just a surface that we're projecting all this stuff on rather than the 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 thing you're actually supposed to be seeing as the space sort of so so we did kind of just i mean and that's very unusual that 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 we would make sort of that big of a change to the concept on the day i mean of of course we make all the fine-grained decisions on the day i mean Mm -hmm. that's the whole point is you know it's like a like with a novelist like first you write a summary then you write the exact scent, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the, mm-hmm. You get to the fine grain part. So of course we always do that, but that was one of the few scenes where we kind of changed the big, more of the big picture um, on, on the day of the shoot. So yeah, so we decided to do this kind of whatever you want to call it, like film noir or Sam Fuller, whatever type thing. And and so we, so we kind of did that all last minute. We just decided these bunks each have their own little light. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that way, you know, that way, you know, Benicio could be like, he's, he himself, like his face is in the dark, but you're getting blasted and, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and all that. And, and all of the other interplay there too, like the, the bars project, you know, the sh- shadow of the bars projected on the window and all that, that was all stuff that's kind of, that's kind of the only scene that we, that we lit like that with all these like kind of, you know, shafts of light that aren't anything except just whatever weird thing they that are. Cause it's still normal. What led up to that, that morning or, whatnot when you guys were getting started i don't know i think it was just a comment i think it was a combination of you know we had seen the set but we hadn't seen it finished so mm-hmm. it was a combination of just you know kind of feeling what that what the what rick had actually done with the set um and uh you know which was awesome mm-hmm. um but you know it was just kind of our take on you know wouldn't wouldn't this be mm-hmm. you know wouldn't this be interesting you know <laughs> cool yeah. and then so you had to decide all that at 
on the fly? Did it take a long time to set up and perfect, or no, did not, you just not, not work real, it out? Really? Not really, because the um, most pretty much everything that was big and pre-rigged could, you know, we could adjust to that. Mm-hmm. And then everything, you know, the other things were like we. we you know, it's not that, you know, just, uh, uh, I mean, just here's an example. I mean, if you've got like an overhead, you know, soft light that was going to be the main illumination, you now make it so dim that it's almost nothing. And then you just turn on a big backlight. Like mm-hmm. it's no, you know, or a yeah. big shaft or something. It's not that big of a deal. We had to put the little, um, uh, MR 16s or whatever they were in the, in the bunks, but that mm-hmm. didn't take very long. And I mean, they, they probably weren't even waiting for us in terms of, you know, the actors getting, ready and mm-hmm. everything so. i so wish we could cool. just we could just work with continuous light all the time <laughs> strobes are that just would be nice yeah a guessing game not really but still <laughs> it'd be nice if you see it and then you shoot it right well, that, well the i mean one of the mm-hmm. biggest problems with strobes isn't just that you can't see it it's that you can't in most cases you can't use them very well as practicals like that you know where they're inside the set inside lamps inside everything and you know so much of the light is you know comes from within rather than being you know behind the camera shining for you know forward um so i think yeah i think you can use you know continuous lights if you have the money to buy them (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure there's some photographers that use them right like annie leibowitz i think yeah well it's tough i mean it's tough for you guys because you have to shoot it uh such a such a, a quicker shutter speed because for for us when something's moving and you get motion blur that's that's what you want you know but when with stills you yeah don't, you don't want all that motion blur on something moving it doesn't so, it work all the time <laughs> so, so you know so even if you have the same sensitive you know same uh, camera sensitivity and same stop as we do you still need a lot more light so then if you're if you're doing strobes to overcome like you know just as an yeah. example if I if I was going to have that lamp on and have it you know, it's on in the shot and it's actually doing Mm -hmm. something, you know, if I'm shooting at a, at a two, eight and 800, that might actually do something. But if you're shooting at a two, eight and 800, but you're also shooting at two fifty a two fiftieth or something or a five hundredth, then that's not going to do anything. Yeah. That's, you know, cause you, you turn those strobes on to get your two fiftieth. Those are overpowering that thing. And now it's not doing anything anymore. It's a different world. (laughs) Well, I love it. Um, Thank you so much for speaking with us. It was so cool to hear more details and about what you do. And I hope we did do some justice. No, thanks for having me. Yeah. I hope it wasn't too uh, boringly technical. It was awesome. <laughs> Christy and I, we love getting down into everything. <laughs> I mean, obviously, yeah, we could ask you a lot more questions. Um, sure. We do ask one other question. Oh, I always do this. I end it before we have to end it. We have one thing we always ask everyone. Our podcast is called The Last Picture. We always ask someone to recall when we say, what is the last picture you can think of? Or and it's really it's very open-ended and, you know, so it could be... Could be still picture, or it could, could be, be a, a movie personal, picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or something you're working on. That you yeah. Can. Does it have to be a photo? No, it could be movies. No, but does it have to be a, f- a photographed or could it be painted? <laughs> I suppose. Is that the, what came to your mind? That's, that's the first first time that we'll have. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'll tell you about this that painting right there, <laughs> which was done by uh, the very talented Zach Johnson, who's uh, Ryan's cousin. Wow. And, he, and he also did all of the... Um, 
he did all the artwork in Brothers Bloom. So Stephen's, uh, you know, Stephen's book that has all the drawings in it in Brothers Bloom, and also the, mm-hmm. the you know, the 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 chapter demarcations that have the drawings over the screen. Oh he yeah, did, he did he did all those, and I just love this uh, painting. It's called Cloud Cover, and it's uh, you know these just very broad brush strokes that that really. It's, you know, it's, it's something that I go for in lighting, which is how evocative can you be with light? And just that, mm. you know, you can just feel it's this New York sort of, um, you know, it feels like an early dusk. Like it's yeah. so thick, it's so much, it's so overcast that it's dusk at, uh, you know, at 3.30 or 4 or something. And, you know, these lights pouring out of the out of the windows and stuff and yeah. um, we call yeah. it yeah, 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 I would, I would think so. Yeah, it's cool. It looks but, like... Um, you feel that it's cold. Mm-hmm. So say. that's an original. It is an original by by Zach Johnson. Lucky you! Mm-hmm. Awesome, it's gorgeous. <laughs> does he have a website with his artwork? I think he does. I think he does. I'm not I'm not sure, but yeah. we'll have to maybe look him up. Yeah, and yeah. To, give him yeah, a. He's a very he's a very talented he's a very talented guy. He's got all kind of stuff. He's done a few music videos. Um, that are animated oil paintings. Like literally every frame is an oil painting. No way. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's amazing. Yeah, wow. That are pretty amazing. So it's like the music video is like 4,000 oil paintings or however many frames are in the, oh my in the video. Yeah. Um, we should look at that after the podcast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but where can people see some of your reels? And uh, My website is uh, just yedlin.net. And uh, I've got my... Um, my uh, cinematography demo stuff on there, and also the um, the color science stuff, the the um, the resolution demo, the display prep demo, the on color science document, and uh, a bunch of other things. And where else can people find you in the worldwide internet? I'm on Twitter. Yeah, okay, uh, just your name. Yeah, just my name. Um, I mean, I have some other accounts, but I don't actually use them. Um, Twitter's the only one I actually use. No Instagramming yeah. for you. No, I have an Instagram account, but I don't I don't do anything <laughs> with it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steve. It was fun chatting with you. Thank you for having us up here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay. Yay. The Last Picture Podcast is mixed and mastered by Resonate Recordings. Check them out at resonaterecordings.com. 